I'm hearing a little bit of feedback ringing when I get louder. Well, we've been steering the stewardship this month. Thank you, Deanna, for the dad joke. Uh, we've been considering our heritage as Christians, as Protestants, as Lutherans, as Bethesdians. We've been considering our heart, the stewarding of our lives, our emotional life, our physical life, and the rest. We today are considering our harvest, what God has blessed us with. And next week, we look to the future on Christ the King Sunday and steward our hope. Our first reading from Paul, writing to the Thessalonian church, this is our last snippet from this letter, and Paul discusses something I'm going to call anti-theft devices. Most of us have some anti-theft devices in our life. You know, if you ask people, what does it take to start a car, most people will say, keys, and they would be wrong. You don't need keys to start a car. And then, you know, nowadays, some of you have cars where you just push a button and it starts, or you're in the... You're in the warm house and it, the car's in the cold garage and you just tell it to start and it just does. But nevertheless, you don't need keys to start a car. You just need ignition. We have keys because we need to protect our cars from people who have other ideas about our cars. So we have a lot of anti-theft devices. We've got cameras all over our very church. I'm on camera right now. We have a lot of if not anti-theft devices, at least let's just keep an eye on things, devices, because we're trying to steward the good gifts here of this beautiful facility and park, but in our own lives of the, the gifts we've received and the gifts that we call home and stuff and keepsakes. So it's not that an anti-theft device is somehow faithlessness, but Paul is talking about how when the world gets crazy, we start building anti-theft devices on our heart, on our soul, on our checkbooks. We start putting up barriers against an uncertain future. Paul is talking about a time when people are saying there's peace and security, and then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there's no escape at that point. So he's speaking to people who are kind of... Um, falling asleep in the midst of peace and well-being. Of course, anyone who watches the news or reads the news, there's not a lot of peace and security in today's world. However, there are ways of carving out our own niches of peace. And the temptation is not to be stewards or to steer a stewardship. The temptation from where we live and how we live, the temptation would be sheltership. That instead of being steward of God's gifts, we become shelterers of God's gifts. The barriers of talents, be it one or two or five, the barriers of a church's mission, the barriers of our own personal talents and treasures. The temptation of sheltership is well understood because you never know when the tide will turn or the headlines will be talking about your hometown. But Paul, in one of his final incursions to the Thessalonians, says, Beloved, you are not in darkness to be surprised like a thief in the night. You are children of light and of the day. And he tells them and us to put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. In other words, don't bury yourself in anti-theft devices so nothing can... Nothing can uh, 
take away what you desire to keep, but wear yourself in such a way that your faith protects your soul and your love protects your fruitfulness in the world. That a breastplate of faith and love is both protecting of yourself, but of love is always open to protecting others, providing for others. It's about production, not preservation, this trust of stewardship. So instead of anti-theft devices, I'm calling it provision designs. That Paul is asking the Thessalonians and a lot of the churches, if you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, he's taking up a collection. As he travels around the ancient Mediterranean world, he's taking up a collection for the mother church in Jerusalem who is going through famine and persecution. He's taking up a special collection. It's a disaster response. He's taking up a collection and he's asking people to give cheerfully, not under compulsion, to give according to their means, not so that their own family would starve as they try to give to people in Jerusalem they'll never meet. But instead of an anti-theft device, he wants his church to have designs on being provisional, being provisioners of people in need. And that word vision is in provision. As we've been going through our own visioning season as a church, it's, just an, it's been an exciting fall to have crew meetings and, and vision and dreams and what is our mission. Uh, and our vision is for the sake of being provisioners, for the sake of our neighbors, for the sake of the countless who need a house of mercy. So it's about production, not preservation. This is why the first two talents, five-talent man and three-talent, two-talent man, are noteworthy. It's not because they're better investors. It's because they actually invested. This isn't about, oh, you didn't make enough money in the stock market with your gifts. This is about you received according to your means, according to your ability. If God gave you 10 oranges, give God 10 oranges. If God gave you seven oranges, give God seven oranges. What we aren't to do is in an anti-theft device on our souls to say, all I've got is one stinking orange in this world. I'm going to bury it in the ground so at least I won't lose my master's money. At least he won't be mad at me for losing all of his money. But this parable isn't about, hey, become a two-talent or a five-talent Christian. No, no, no. The church is not a pay-to-pray country club. The church is not a pay-to-pray country club. Can I get an amen for that? Yeah, amen. And Jesus knows in the competition over the throne of our hearts, there's nothing quite like money to constantly struggle with the Messiah. Between the Messiah, Jesus, between our Master, God the Father, Son, and Spirit, and money. It is, just seems like an endless struggle. You cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. Our God views and our money values are locked in combat or locked in a battle for supremacy. What we, how we view God impacts how we value money. How we value money or how we were raised with or without much money and how we were raised to value money impacts how we view God. It's a hand-to-hand combat between these two. And Jesus says, you only can have one master. 
Here's another way to put it. God the Creator has made us with everything that exists. He's given us body and soul, our lives. He's given every living creature the breath of life. And the creature, or the Creator, has entered into a fiduciary relationship with His creation. Of all the things God made, He made these amazing, wild, strange, crazy creatures called homo sapiens, called human beings. And he gave them his spirit, and he started talking to them, and they were able to understand and talk back. And God gave to these ones his very image so that he could have representatives on the earth, so God could have stewards, little, little godettes, little Christs in the world. He's entered into a fiduciary relationship, and we either know our Creator to be a giver or a harsh master. What mattered in the end was not how many talents these three guys in the parable had. What mattered was what kind of master they believed themselves to have. The ones who believed their master had given them much and entrusted them with the whole shebang, they went for it. They took a risk. They went out and tried to see what could be done with what their master gave them. And the one who believed his master was harsh unfair, expecting something where he did not reap or did not sow the seed. That man hid the talent. It's about the trust or distrust in the master, not how much talents or how those talents are given away or dispersed or used. There's a story of uh, two medieval stonemasons. So you go up to these uh, medieval stonemasons and you talk to them about, you know, how's the labor? And, you know, the first one says... You know, it's a drag. It's a drag. If you want to know the truth, it's burning hot in the sun. The work is breaking my back. One stone after the other after the other. And I don't even know if I'll live long enough to see the end result of what I'm doing here. So in short, no. I don't like this job at all. That would be a very reasonable job performance review with a medieval stonemason. But then you walk up to the, a second stonemason on the very same work site. And, this, and ask him the same question. And this second stonemason says, well, as you can imagine, this work is really hard. It's pretty monotonous. Same thing, day after day. It's hot outside. It's definitely not good for my back and spine. I've been doing this for years now, and I don't even know if I'll live long enough to see the end result. But you know what? Despite all the drudgery, I love it. It's worthwhile because we're building a cathedral. These two stonemasons are building the exact same project. One sees only what it costs. The other sees what it provides, if not in his lifetime, for the glory of God and the people in times to come. Mark Allen Powell says, you know, we hear people say, give from your heart. And in fact, the Bible even says that. Paul says, give what is within your heart to give. But another way to think about it is to say, give where you want your heart to be. Give as though you were the sort of person you would like to be and let your heart catch up later. The stewardship of our own talents and our, and our own investment in the team of talents represented in a congregation or another charity or nonprofit, our talents and our investment in the team talents of other organizations 
is in light of the stewardship of the Son, in light of the stewardship of the Master of the parable. Because Paul told the Thessalonians, whether we live or die, whether we're awake or asleep, God has not destined us for wrath, but salvation in Jesus who died for us on the cross. God's stewardship was to give wholly and completely, holding nothing back of His Son, Jesus Christ, who laid His own life down willingly for the sheep, bore our sins on His body, took every last one of our sins, deaths, doubts, and devil's lies into the grave with Him. Now let me ask you this. If the parable was not the parable of the five talents and the two talents and the one talent, if it was the parable of the Creator's talents, the Master's talents, if the five-talented man made five more talents, if the two-talented man made two more talents, if the one-talented man at least didn't lose that one talent but buried it for later, let me ask you this math question. If the infinite treasure of heaven was buried in a tomb that is now empty, what is the return on that investment? If the infinite treasure of heaven for our sakes became poor and was buried in a tomb that now stands empty, what is the return on God's investment? You and I are God's tithe to a merciless world. The church are the unique and often conflicted people of God in Jesus, whom God has called out of the world to not leave the world, but to remain in the world for the sake of the other 90%. The church is God's tithe. The way that our, uh, James put it in our call to worship is that we are the first fruits of the new creatures. You and I are God's tithe to the world. And what a joy someday to stand before our Maker and for Him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been trustworthy, not to the extent that that ten-talent guy over there was or that one-talent guy over there. You were trustworthy of what I gave you, your life, such as it is, your heart, such as it is, your treasures, such as they are, your abilities, such as I've given and I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of my master. Our mission as a church is not to be a five-talent Christian or a ten-talent church. Our mission is to receive God's goodness in Jesus and to respond to Christ's grace with all ten oranges and all that we are. The whole heart and harvest, heritage and hope of our lives. And together to rejoice in the Spirit's abundant gifts. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are the steward of all creation. Jesus, giving yourself for the sake of the world, holding nothing back, and sending us as your first fruits of a new creation of hope and love. Help us as Bethesda to be a house of mercy for newcomers and old Lutherans and everyone in between. And help each of us as we consider the hearts and the harvests of our lives. Help us to be 
grateful of your generosity, wise of what you've entrusted us with, so that we can care for our family and so that we can freely give as needs arise. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.